this morning. I'm excited to be here and to worship with you today. We are going to be uh, continuing this series of After God's Heart, this series where we're looking at David. And um, up to this point, we have kind of, we've taken a certain angle on this thing where we're saying, okay, David, God says this is a man after my heart. Therefore, we're going we're gonna to process this in that way. God, this is a man, or I, David is a man after God's heart. Therefore, we can see some of the character in David uh, and, and that's kind of the way that we're, we've taken that line. Uh, today, we're making a bit of a shift. We're turning a little bit on how we're approaching this for the rest of this series. Uh, so instead of looking at David's life and saying, David was a man after God's heart, therefore we see the character of God in that, we're shifting that a little bit for the next couple of messages. And, uh, and we're saying, David was a man after God's heart, we are people who are fashioned after our, if we're born again, we are people who are fashioned after God's heart. Therefore, we're gonna look at some of the things that David was led to. We're gonna look at some of the places that that overlaps in our life and say, okay, if David was a man fashioned after God's heart, we're people fashioned after God's heart. We're gonna be led into some of those same things, okay? Now, not, clearly not all the things David kind of went into adultery. We're not gonna be led into adultery. We're not saying that, right? Um, but, but we're saying, looking at David's, some of who David was, some of the things that David um, did in his life, then we are going to be led into those same things. And it'll make sense in just a minute what I'm trying to say. So, um, and again, this is, in, this is not in order to say uh, David did everything right, David did it well, so you know what we should do? We should do it the way that David did it. Because David was old covenant, the way David did things is not the way we under the new covenant do things. It's just not because it's a different covenant. It's a different way that God has chosen to relate to us. Um, but we're going to look at some of those things and we're going to say, why was David led to this? And then why are we led to whatever that same subject is? So I want to jump into 2 Samuel chapter 6, and we're going to read about when David decides to bring the ark to Jerusalem, to the city of David, to the capital of, of uh, Jerusalem. And uh, so we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 6, and if you're watching this live, uh, we're having some issues with, this, with this, the syncing system, or I don't know how you want to say it, but you may not see the, the stuff up on the screen um, in that way. So, so 2 Samuel chapter 6, and this is, um, just to introduce it a little bit, so David uh, is now the king of Israel, all right? Last week, we talked about how Saul was chasing David around, trying to kill him. Well, now Saul has died. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff that happens in between here, but David is now the unchallenged king of Israel and Judah. And, um, and with that, David says, you know what? I'm gonna bring the ark to Jerusalem. The ark, not Noah's ark, right? And we're talking about the ark of the covenant, which is what God gave instructions for Moses to, to build um, or to have some other people build within Israel. The ark was, was kind of the center of the tabernacle. It was the center of the place of worship where God, the tabernacle represented God physically present with the people. The 10 commandments were in the tabernacle. Aaron's staff was in the tab, or excuse me, was in the, the ark. Aaron's staff was in the ark. Um, and, uh, and then there were some cherubim up on top and it said that God physically hovered over the cherubim. So this was like the representation. This was God's physical place in Israel. And David says, we're gonna bring that in. Uh, to Jerusalem. Now, there's a whole story that we're, we're going to, the first 12, first 11 verses of this chapter, we're not going to read, but it's a whole story about they, they put this ark, they decide they're going to move the, 
the ark. They put this ark on a cart, and they're not supposed to put it on an ark or on a cart. You're actually supposed to put it uh, on a, a platform for guys to carry. But they put it on the cart. It gets bumped around. It goes to fall. A guy reaches out to catches it, and he dies because he touches the holy thing of God, right? Um, and, uh, and so we're not going to get into that story, but that's there. And what happens is that then David gets scared, and he's like, I don't think I want this thing. And he's afraid of the ark. He's afraid of God. And so they reroute it. It goes to another guy's house. Well, when we pick up in verse 12 of 2 Samuel chapter 6, it says this, now it was told King David saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. So that's where the ark went. And God has blessed his house because the ark is there in his house. So David went up and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an uh, an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and, and with the sound of the trumpet. Then it happened that the ark of the Lord came to the city of David and that Michael, the daughter of Saul, which is David's wife. So David's wife looked out the window and saw that King David was leaping and dancing before the Lord and she despised him in her heart. Jump to verse 20. But when David returned to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of the servant's maids as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes. But, in the ma- but with the maids of whom you have spoken, with them I will be distinguished. Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. So David decides to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city. And what we have, picture it, is like, it's, a, it's an enormous celebration. This is, this is David leading in his people and recognizing that he is bringing God literally into this city. Like this is gonna be the center of our, of our nation. This is gonna be the center of our life, as our, uh, of us as a people. And he's bringing, or he's bringing God into, uh, into the city that way. And there is shouting and there is celebrating and there is the sound of the trumpet. And it says all of, Israel, all of the house of Israel. That means it's, there's a lot of people, right? There's a lot of people in this situation. Um, and here's what I see in my head, Okay. I go to Disney, I go to Aladdin, the movie Aladdin. If you remember when, uh, when the, the whole parade is coming in, Prince Ali, which is Aladdin, when he's like, he's like you know, Prince Ali or whatever he's disguised, they come into this city. It's the song where they say, make way for Prince Ali, all those things, right? Uh, and, and they come in and, uh, and, and Genie is at the front of this parade and he's marching along and he's twirling his flaming baton and there's peacocks and there's camels and there's dancers and there's priests with these, the, their little chanting things that they chant and they ring bells and all that stuff, right? So it's this huge procession. That's why I see, the way I see this in my head. David 
is leading this procession. So instead of Jeannie marching around with his, his twirling baton, this is David. David is leading this thing and he is dancing and he is bringing the, the Ark uh, of the Covenant into Jerusalem and he is leading the people in this giant procession. It's a huge moment. And with David being at the front of that procession, it says he is wearing the a linen ephod, which is like a, what, just what the priest wore. It was designated, that is what the priest wears. So David is wearing this thing and he's offering sacrifices and he's dancing with all his might. With all his might. And he was the instigator of this. Like this was, David said, this is, we're doing this thing, right? He is the leader of this thing. And the thing that we're talking about is worship. What David is doing, what he is leading the people in is worship. This is a picture of worship. David is worshiping and he's leading the people of Israel in this worship procession. They're celebrating God. They're celebrating what God is doing among them. And that is worship. So as we look at this story and we take this, this little bit of a pivot into how we're gonna look at these things um, and saying David was fashioned after God's heart and that led him to worship. We are fashioned after God's heart. We can expect that that is going to lead us to worship. Do you see the connection we're making? So rather than the characteristics of God being revealed in David's life, we're gonna say that there are things in our lives that we can find similarly in David's life. Um, as we are also people that have been fashioned after God's heart, being made new, uh, being born again. So being made new and being, made, being born again, when you find new life in Christ, when you're made new and you're born again, something happens in you that you become a worshiper. You become a worshiper of God. It's who you are. Okay? It's like when we say that you're made new and you're made righteous in that moment. You're born again, you're made right with the spirit of God in you, having the nature of God rather than having the sin nature that you had before you were made new. In that same way, now you become a worshiper. It's part of your identity. It's who you are. You are a worshiper of God. And just like in your new identity as being made new, you don't always act righteous, we don't always find ourselves in a worshipful attitude or, or worshiping that doesn't always become our behavior, but it is part of our identity, right? It is part of your identity. And with that being part of identity, there's some things that might be helpful for us to explore in what David experienced and what led David to worship um, and things that lead us to worship or in how we worship. So number one, we're gonna talk about genuine worship this morning. Genuine worship is always a response to God. Genuine worship is always a response to God. As his own, okay, as his people, we are worshipers. And when we worship, we do it as a response to God. It is our response to to who he is, it is our response to what he has accomplished. It is our response to what we expect to happen because of what we're experiencing or what's going on. It is a response. We worship because we recognize what he has done in our lives. We worship because of his goodness. We worship because of his blessing. We worship because of his grace. We worship because of his beauty. We worship because of his creation. That moves us to worship. We worship because he broke the power of sin and death, right? We worship as a response to God, to who he is, to what he has done, to what he is doing. 
We worship as a response. We see that in the story of, of David, in this story here, when David is challenged by his, his wife, Michael. And she says, oh, you dignified yourself into the, in the eyes of everybody today, didn't you? Oh, how the king has dignified himself today, even in front of the servant's maids. Now catch that. The servant's, the servant's maids, the lowest of the lowest. These are the servants of the servants, right? You have dignified yourself. You, are the, you, have, you, you have made yourself out to be a fool in front of absolutely everybody, the lowest of the low. And David corrects her and he says, no, no, not in front of the servants, not in front of the servants' servants. It was before the Lord who chose me. It was before the Lord who chose me. That's who I made, uh, I was undignified in front of. That's who I made a fool of myself in front of. You're right, I made a fool of myself. I didn't act like a king, but it was not for those people and it was not for the people in the procession. It was not for the people who like you are sitting in their houses and, and watching. You're not even participating. It wasn't for you. It was for the Lord. And the key to this statement is, and one of the greatest expressions of why we worship is he chose me. It was before the Lord because he chose me or who chose me. It was before God Almighty because he chose me. I'm a worshiper of God because he chose me. We are worshipers of God because he chose us. He chose us because we're his. Our worship is a response to our identity as his. It is a response to our identity as his, as his children. That's why we worship. And when when we're reminded of that truth, that we're his, it leads to worship, okay? It leads to celebration, to celebrating him, to celebrate what he's done. That's why we see, sing songs like, I belong to you. That's why we sing songs like, I am who you say I am, and I'm yours. We're led to worship because of the truth of what he has done and because of who he is. Think about it for a second. If you're not his, you don't worship him, right? If you're not his, you don't worship him. You don't, you don't, if you don't belong to him, you don't worship him. Is he deserving of absolutely every praise of every creature on this planet, of every angel in heaven? Yes, absolutely he is. Is he deserving of all power, of all glory, of all honor, of all worship that anybody and everybody can give him? Yes, he is deserving of it. But who actually gives it to him? his kids, those who are his. Why? Why do we worship? Because we recognize that we are his. That's our identity, that we are his. We recognize, when we recognize the greatness of God and we recognize that he chose us in our pitiful, lowly state, and we recognize that when he chose us, that he made us right, that equation leads to worship. How can you, how can you have that equation of who, uh, the, the equation of who God is, that God, who I am, and God still chose me, and because he chose me, he made me righteous, how can you respond with anything other than worship? Can't. How can you respond with anything other than worship? Worship is a response to who God is and what God has accomplished 
And there will be a day, according to Isaiah 45, Romans 14, Philippians 2, there will be a day that in fact, regardless of whether people are his or not, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, every, every God, everyone will recognize that he is God. Everybody will recognize that he's God and that he's worthy of all praise in all glory, regardless of whether or not they're his. There will be that day, but that day hasn't happened yet. And so those who worship are his. We're his. That's why we worship. Because like David said, he chose me. He chose me. And when he chose me, he made me his own. And now I'm his and he is mine. And I know that to be my true identity. Because I know that to be my true identity, I worship. It leads us to worship. So we worship because we're his, because he chose us. Worship is a response to him and his work. And if worship ever becomes something other than a response to God, other than a response to who he is or what he is, I don't know what to call it, but it's not worship. It doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad thing, but it's not worship. We can, you can call it ritual, you can call it rites, you can call it habit, you can call it something that I just watch other people do, but it's not worship. When we do something to prove ourselves to God, to prove how serious we are this time, to get it right, God, that's not worship. When we do something in order to get something from God, that's not worship. When we do something, uh, yeah, when we do something in order to get something from God, it's not worship. If you come to church on Sunday morning hoping that if I show up to church to worship, that then God will bless me in that job interview that I got coming up, that's not worship. You didn't come for worship. You came to get something from God. It's something else. Maybe it's manipulate. I don't know. It's not worship. Worship is always a response to who God is and to what God has done or is doing right now. You can go back to Elijah on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings. I always go back there when I think of worship. The priests, the prophets of Baal, they've made, or Elijah has come. He's made this challenge. They're dancing. The prophets of Baal say, hey, listen, uh, we got to get Baal to do something. So let's dance. Let's get serious about our worship. We're going to take swords. We're going to take knives. We're going to cut ourselves. We're going to bleed for Baal. Come on, Baal, we're bleeding for you. It's not, that, that might be the way they worship, but that's not the way we worship. That's not worship. Our worship is a response to God. And Elijah prayed. And he said, God, show up, and God showed up. That's how we worship. Abraham built an altar and worshiped God after God spoke the blessing over him. It's a response. He built another altar and he worshiped after God gave a ram instead of his son, Isaac. They worshiped together. Israel worshiped after God parted the sea and led them out of Egypt and they escaped Egypt. Worship is a response. In John chapter nine, Jesus heals a man that's born blind. Uh, this is the scenario where they ask who sinned, this man or his parents. Um, and Jesus, Jesus heals this man, right? Jesus heals this man. John chapter nine, it says this, verse 35. Jesus heard, oh, sorry. This is, the, this is a, 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 an interaction that Jesus had after the guy is healed and he goes and he presents himself to the, the Pharisees. They question him and they reject him. So then Jesus is interacting him with them again. He said, Jesus heard that they had put him out and finding him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, who, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him 
and he is the one talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped. He worshiped as a response to what Jesus had done, healed him, and to who Jesus was, the Son of Man, the Messiah. He worshiped as a response. It is a response. That's genuine worship. It's a response to who God is and what he has done in making us new. It's a response. So the second thing that we see in this scripture with regard to worship is that genuine worship is revealing or revelatory or however you want to say it. Genuine worship reveals things. So I want to go back to the story of David and this interaction that he has with his wife, Michael, okay? And I want to take just a second as we make this point that genuine worship is revealing to also reiterate a point that I made last week and that the, the version of the scripture that you use matters because whether it's a translation or an interpretation, um, because there's something about this story that I always knew to be true. I always understood it to be true, okay? That this was the story when you talk about worshiping like David worshiped. Everybody all, or somebody always cracks a joke, usually Daniel, but somebody always cracks a joke about worshiping naked. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna strip down, or we're gonna, right? That's nothing against Daniel, because 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 my, my my brain always goes there. But like that's what we that's this is the scripture where we get that sentiment that David, oh, we're gonna worship like David, okay, right? But I want to look at at the scripture. Do you remember anything that we read that that aligns with that? He's wearing a kilt. He's wearing an ephod. All right, verse 20, let's read from the New American Standard Bible, which is what we read earlier. How the king of Israel, this is Michael. She says, oh, how the king of Israel distinguished himself today. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of the servants made as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself, okay? Now, let's read verse 20 from the NIV, same verse. Oh, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. It's the same there up to that point. But she continues in the NIV, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. That paints a different picture, doesn't it? That paints a different picture. David stripping down for worship in a vulgar show for all the people to see. We said worship is revealing, right? But here's the problem with understanding, with, with that, looking at those two things. The problem with understanding David's actions to be that kind of revealing is that the NIV has interpreted the meaning of the words rather than translated to te the text. And that's really important because it changes what you understand about the scripture and what it's saying. When you look at the Hebrew words that are written there, it's actually one Hebrew word and it means uncovered, okay? The least common way that that is interpreted includes nakedness. The least common way that that is interpreted includes nakedness. In fact, the places when that word is interpreted nakedness, it almost without fail includes a second word that makes it clear. This is an uncovering of physical nature, right? An uncovering of physical nature. 
It specifically states it. But we don't have that in this scripture when we're looking at verse 20 in the story about David. The word that we have, like I said, most commonly is interpreted to uncover. Some other interpretations of it are to show, to reveal, to remove, to discover, to disclose. It's like a much more figurative understanding of what it means to uncover than the literal physically uncovering of David, of himself. This is the word that is used about God to say that God revealed himself to somebody, okay? That's that's what we're talking about. God unveiled himself. He showed himself, revealed the truth of himself to someone. So the physical sense, it doesn't compute in that way than involving nakedness or David uncovering himself that way. It makes much better sense to understand that Michael, the wife of the king, who was not interested in worshiping and participating in this, but that Michael is chastising David, her husband, for revealing his true nature to these people. You're not a king. You didn't act like a king in that. You you revealed yourself to be a fool. You uncovered yourself in the eyes of everybody. Look at it. Now they see who you are, right? Remember, her dad was king. David replaced her dad as the king. So she knows what it is to be royalty. And she's saying, you didn't act royal. It is our job. It is our responsibility to act royal among these servants, among these people so that they serve us. How can they serve you when they don't respect you, when you act like a fool in front of them? Your recklessness, your wild dancing, your singing, your unchecked fervor, it shows the people who you really are. And that's what I mean when I say that worship is revealing. Worship is revealing. It exposes things about you to yourself or to other people. And David's response to Michael is, when it comes to my God, yes, I'm undignified. I get undone, right? That's who I am. That's my true identity. When it comes to expressing my appreciation, my adoration for him to withhold for the sake of appearances, it, is not, it doesn't make sense. I'm not gonna do it. This was for God. It doesn't matter that other people don't think this is how a king acts. It doesn't matter. That's who I am in my relationship with God. Genuine worship is revealing to other people, to ourselves. I'm not saying we're all dancers, so we all gotta get up and dance. I'm not saying we're all singers, so we all gotta scream at the top of our lungs. I'm not saying we're all shouters, so we all gotta shout amen, right? But when you find yourself in genuine worship, it does shed some light on your life in in this way. We go to church on Sundays to worship in community. You see that, other people see that, and it reveals the fact that joining together with other people in worship is important to us, right? That it sheds light on that. And I think there are opportunities in worship for us to look at our attitude and ask ourselves, what does it reveal to me? Okay, Not looking at other people and what does their worship reveal to me about them, but what does my worship reveal about me? What is it shedding a light on in me? What does the way I worship reveal about me? One of the things that I've noticed 
in this revealing kind of a sense is that what you believe about your identity influences how you worship. What you believe about who you are, about your identity, influences or determines or dictates or shapes or sways or colors or transforms, however you want to say it, what you believe about your identity and who you really are influences your worship and how you worship. You can't get around this. So who you understand you to be, yourself to be colors the way that you worship. If you understand yourself to be a worm, to be a scab that God tolerates, that somehow you've been, you're a sinner and you've been saved by grace, somehow you're just getting through. We're not really sure how that's happening. Then your worship is gonna be sad. It's gonna be mournful. It will be full of pleading for grace and mercy. And you're gonna focus on woe is me and great are you. Great are you, Lord, right? That's going to be the flavor of the messages, of the scriptures, of the songs that speak to your heart. Because that's who you understand yourself to be. That's what you understand your identity to be. If you understand yourself to be completely redeemed and made right in Christ, right now made right in him, then you're going to celebrate. And you're going to recognize, great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord who is above all else, who is worthy of everything. I cannot compare to you. I cannot compare to, like I am nothing and yet you made me right with you. You made me right and righteous. What an incredible thing that you have accomplished, God. There is nothing between you and me any longer. You have done away with the sin. You have, you have made me clean and white. And now I can approach your throne boldly and with thanksgiving. I can recognize your greatness and your worthiness for praise. And I can sing at the top of my lungs with appreciation for all that you have done. Or I can sit in my seat and weep because I can't believe that you have done it. With passion, I can recognize your goodness in the work that you've done in me because I'm his, because he chose me. He fixed me in my brokenness. Now I can sing songs like, even when I don't see it, you're working because I know that you are. I trust what you're doing in me. You see the difference? Can you see the difference? If you're a believer, you can look at the worship music or the sermons or the readings that move you and reveal, it will reveal to you how you think God looks at you. Test out that truth. And so when we look at worship as this response to God, And we ask that question of my worship, like how do I worship and what does it reveal about my relationship to God and how I view or how I think that God views me? And then we look at this scripture and ask the question, okay, well, of all of that, with all of those things, who's the audience in this worship, right? Who, who is this worship for? What about David? His wife said, you made a fool of yourself in front of everybody, David, in front of the lowest of the lowest servants. 
David said, no, my worship, my making a fool of myself was in front of my God. Genuine worship is for an audience of one. That's my typo, not, your, not theirs. Is for an audience of one. Genuine worship is for an audience of one. David does not care that he is king. He does not care that he is in front of all the people of Israel. That does not matter to him. His statement is, it was before the Lord. That's why I was dancing. I would have done it by myself. It was for God. Worshiping, dancing with all his might. God had chosen him and he was gonna celebrate and he was gonna worship God's presence there. Now he can do that with other people like he did or he can do that by himself. But the point is, it's for God. It's for God. When we worship, whether it's in song or dance or giving or serving, genuine worship is about God alone. It is for him and it is for him alone. That's why basically David told his wife, he said, listen, you think that was undignified? You think that lowered me in the eyes of the people? Maybe it did, but I don't care. It wasn't for the people. It wasn't for my popularity. It wasn't for people to rally behind me. If that makes me less esteemed or look foolish in their eyes, well, you haven't seen anything yet. I'll do more than that because it's for God. It's not for them. It's not for them. And it's not about me. David's worship wasn't about him. It wasn't about himself either. It was about this, it, it, it was about worshiping God. It wasn't about the experience or the feeling that he got from worshiping God. It was recognizing the presence of God was there and worshiping God for who he was. It wasn't about David himself either. It wasn't about the people, it wasn't about David. And here's the thing that comes back to identity again. The deeper you press into your identity as a loved, redeemed child of God, any identity that you could get from worshiping God, whether positive or negative, whether people looking on you approval because, man, he knows how to worship, or whether people are like, this is ridiculous, what is he doing? It doesn't stick because your identity is not in what people are seeing or looking at your identity, is, it comes from God. And the more you press into that, the less it matters what other people might say or think, positive or negative, because it's not about you, it's not about them, it's about God. So it doesn't matter to David that the lowest servants would think he was a fool or that his wife would call him out to be a fool. It doesn't matter that David is wearing the garment of a priest, even though he's the king. It doesn't matter that he was dancing with all his might and people might think, uh, David, this is just a parade, man. He's up, back it up a little bit, right? Or that people might look out and say, wow, look at him worship. Man, he must be really close to God. It doesn't matter that people will look at you and think you're a fool for dancing or singing or giving or raising your hands or saying amen or crying, whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because you know what God says about you. You know who you are in Christ. And whether they think that you're the dumbest person in the world or the most sincere follower in the world doesn't matter. Because your worship isn't for them and it's not for you. I have a quote on my whiteboard in my office that says, I value what other people think, but I cannot find my value in what people think of me. 
I value what other people think, but I cannot find my value in what people think of me. My value comes from my identity as a son of God. My worship comes as a response to the fact that I am a son of God. And whether others approve of that worship or disapprove of that worship doesn't change the fact that I'm worshiping as a response to my God who has made me his son. It doesn't change. My value is not rooted in that. My value is in who God says I am. So all of a sudden I'm free to worship in any setting and whatever, whatever is a genuine expression of my love and my adoration and my celebration of him in any setting without thought to what people might think of me, positive or negative, I'm free from that. Sure, those thoughts wanna creep in. Sure, I have the thought, you're at the front of the room. Is anybody else watching you? Doesn't matter though, doesn't matter. I'm free to worship with all my might, with everything that I have that's in me out of sincerity, not because I'm trying to impress God or I'm trying to impress people, but out of sincerity because it's all for God. It's all about God. It's not about anybody else or anything else, not even me. I don't worship because I have to or I have some kind of need that needs to be met. I worship because I get to and I want to. And I want to recognize who God is and who, what God has done in me. Genuine worship is always a, a response from us to God. Genuine worship is revealing and genuine worship is only for God, not for anybody else and not for you. Worship is for God. Worship is for God. So just like we do pretty much every single Sunday, we're gonna do a couple more songs, a couple more worship songs. Not that music is the only way that we worship, but it is a way that we join in together and we do a communal worship this way. So as we get to these next couple of songs, I want you to reflect on these thoughts, on these ideas. What does my worship reveal about me? What does my worship reveal about me? Why is it important that we're singing these lyrics and not some other ones? How is this for me a response to God or a recognition of who he is or what he's done in me or for me and just who he is in general, regardless of what he's done? Is my response an appropriate expression of truth? And who is this for? Is this for me? Is this so I feel good when I leave? Like, do I, so I can leave pumped? I can leave on a high note? I had this experience with God, so I feel good afterwards. Is this for the worship team so that they get an opportunity to play in front of a group of people? Or is this for God? Am I commuting with my God right here in this moment, regardless of whether the people around me are, regardless of what other people are, are doing, thinking or doing or experiencing right now, am I communing with God right here in this moment? This is for God. This is for God. Last thought that I had this morning. Um, number one, there's a lot of stuff going on in our church in individuals' lives. We got people in the hospital We've got people who have just had medical procedures. We've got people who are not in the hospital who have not had medical procedures but are dealing with medical diagnoses. We have uh, people within the last two weeks, I can think of three people who have lost a family member or a, a friend that was closer than a family member. 
We got, we got the general anxiety and depression and whatever else pressures that people are feeling and people are experiencing. It's a tough time right now for a lot of people, for a lot of people in our church. And number one, worship as a response to God is over top of those circumstances, right? It's beyond what I might be feeling and experiencing. Yes, what I feel and experience might temper how I feel and if I'm in the mood for worship or whatever, but, but worship is above that because it's a response to God and who God is and what God's done or what God's doing or what we can expect that God might do out of this situation. So it's above that. Number two, we're a family. And as we worship in the next couple of songs, it's really important to me that we mesh as a family and that we are concerned for one another as a family and that we pray for one another as a family. There's a lot of stuff going on. Reach out. If you know what's going on in somebody's life, reach out. If you feel like God's tugging your heart in a certain direction, go and find out. How can I pray for you? So we're gonna have a, a special ministry time or not even a special ministry time, just ministry where we're gonna stand. You guys can stand up to your feet and we're gonna sing some. And if you got nothing going on and you don't feel led to go pray with somebody, that's fine. Stand in worship or sit in worship or lay down in worship. But if you feel led, go pray with somebody. If you need prayer, go ask for prayer from somebody. Because this is a time when we as a family want to minister to one another and what our, our life is. Listen, just because we're believers doesn't mean our life's perfect. We know that, right? But we serve a perfect God and we serve a God who can take all of those circumstances that we're dealing with and he can turn them for good. We just sang a song, the second song we sang this morning called Graves into Gardens. He can do that. He can do that. He's the only one that can do that. So let's go ahead and let's worship some more. And let me just pray. God, we just, we just honor you this morning. We recognize how good you are, even if our circumstances are not, but we recognize your goodness. God, we, we recognize that you are worthy of praise no matter what is going on in our lives. And even if we don't feel like it, you're worthy of it. And you're patient with us when we don't feel like it. It doesn't offend you. You're not gonna get back at us in revenge. But God, you're worthy and we wanna worship you this morning. And so I just pray that you would open up our, the, the doors of our hearts, break down walls, break down barriers, God, and let us worship you in spirit and in truth. Because that's what you said, Jesus, that there will be a day when people worship me in spirit and in truth. And that's what we're recognizing, the truth of, of who you are, who you've made us to be in Christ. That's our identity. We're gonna recognize that. And we're gonna sing that to you. We're gonna honor you this morning. So. We just give this next couple of minutes to you. We love you, Jesus. Move in our hearts, move among us. Amen.